It must be Thursday. Welcome to Learning Unwrapped, the podcast about your most important life skill, learning. My guest today is the 2018 United States National Teacher of the Year. She recently transitioned from a 21-year career as a classroom teacher to support educators as a digital content specialist for the Washington Education Association. As a classroom teacher, she taught English to newly arrived refugee and immigrant students in the Newcomer Center at the Joel E. Ferris High School in Spokane, Washington. In her classroom, she used experimental projects like map making to help her students process trauma, celebrate their home countries and culture, and learn about their new community. She is now the co-author of the book, Creating a Sense of Belonging for Immigrant and Refugee Students. Please welcome Mandy Manning. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk with you about this book. It's an amazing book um, published by Routledge, correct? Yes. All right. They're my publisher, too. Yeah. Uh, they have a lot of good books. So They I, do. Yeah. And of course, people can also get it on Amazon and any of the online bookstores, uh, creating a sense of belonging for immigrant and refugee students. So first, Mandy, give a shout out to your co-authors and tell us how the four of you decided to collaborate on this book. So, um, well, I couldn't have done this book without my co-authors. So there's Ivana Rosco Sahi, who is the 2018 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. Leah Jelke, who is the 2018 um, North Dakota Teacher of the Year and also a, I think, 2019 Global Teacher of Prize top 10 finalist. I think it was 2019. Could have been 2020. Um, and and Sarahi Monterey, who is the 2019 Wisconsin Teacher of the Year. So you have quite a, a group of heavy hitters here. Yes, absolutely. I, it was, and it was very intentional. Um, so what originally happened was I had been asked by Michael Soskill to write a chapter for his book, which was Flip the System, um, which was about, you know, democracy and how uh, schools in the United States can, you know, help with civics and, and all that. And so I did a chapter on immigrant and refugee students and the importance of really being intentional with teaching our immigrant and refugee students and welcoming them. Because wait, let's, all of, let's give a shout out to that book again. The name is um, Flip, Flip the, the System. System. All right. <laughs> yep, Flip the System. And so I wrote that chapter and then Rutledge actually reached out to me and they said, hey, we really think that this could be, this chapter could be the foundation for a book. And I said, well, you know, <laughs> yes, I've been teaching immigrant and refugee students for a very long time, but I... Um, would be more comfortable writing this book if I could bring on some other teachers who, number one, have experienced um, what they teach themselves. So like Ivana Rosco Sahi is a, a DACA recipient and came to the United States as a young person with her family um, and experienced all of that. Um, Sadahi is, her family is from El Salvador and they came as immigrants. And so, and Leah, she teaches similar to what I teach, um, a v wide variety of students. And so I said, I said, I, I would not be comfortable writing this on my own as a white woman teaching majority students of color, especially refugee and immigrant students. And I've not experienced that myself. Mm -hmm. So if I'm allowed to bring on co-authors, um, I'd happily do this. And so they said yes. And I reached out to my three co-authors 
um, and all of them were super excited to do the project. And so we put our heads together and developed our proposal of what the book was going to be. And the way that we divided it up was um, Yvonne, Leah, and Sarahi are all still actively teaching in the classroom. Um, and I was at that point already started working for our education association for our state. And so um, I was most comfortable having the direct practice uh, parts of the piece uh, of the book um, with those three. So we mm -hmm. divided it into parts. So I wrote the introduction and the conclusion. Um, and then we did have a the end section was about teaching and remote learning for immigrant and refugee students. So I did write a, a part of that chapter, which was chapter 10. And then um, Yvonne, Leah, and Sarahi all had a full section. And each one came at it, came at the topic from a different perspective. Well, that's so, great. So you have different yeah. voices in there. It's not like yes. one person put it all together. Yes. Um, and then we just set up a schedule and I met with each of them, um, I think two or three times throughout the year to just go through their um, uh, content and what they were thinking and, and their writing. And we worked, I edited everything to begin with, and then they exchanged their chapters as well and did another edit. Uh, and then it all came together. I was shocked at how quickly and beautifully it came together because we started in October and we finished in July. Wow. And so yeah, it was really um, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I hope you sell millions of copies. Uh, now you didn't begin your career as an English, as a teacher of English language learners. How did that happen? So I originally didn't set out to be a teacher, to be honest. I have an undergraduate degree in filmmaking. <laughs> And so when I, when I graduated, but Scorsese already had that uh, wrapped up. Was that yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, they don't need me. <laughs> um, but I, uh, when I was finished with my degree in filmmaking, I just was already disenchanted because it was, I'd been working for TV stations and it's a lot of bad news on the TV news. I don't know if you've noticed no. <laughs> But just um, within my, it wasn't feeding my soul. I was like, I need more hope than this. This is going to make me really jaded. And um, sorry, I don't know. It, it just was making Listen, me not. Just as an aside, we have you know a hurricane that's coming around Florida and well, it's, you know, devastating Puerto Rico right now. But I was thinking as I was listening to the newscasters telling us, you know, well, it would take 10 days to get to Florida, but we're going to keep an eye on it. And, we're, and I'm thinking they're actually hoping that the hurricane will strengthen and and hit us because that's how you sell the news. Right. If it was like, oh, the hurricane died out and there's nothing to share, then they don't, they're not, you know, in the news. Yeah. So I thought it really has become skewed. This is probably another podcast, right? But yeah. It has become skewed in terms of, of what we want out of the news. If you Yes. Will. Yes. 100%. And so like I, I had been told multiple times over the years that I should consider being a teacher, but I, you know, you just are like, Oh no, I don't know. And so Somebody I had knew this... that you didn't want to peddle the fear of media. Right. So I, um, had this friend who was a paraeducator in a special education classroom and they happened to have a position open and he was like Mandy I know you you would you, this is something that you would love and so I applied and I became a paraeducator and it was my first experience working with students and it was you know some of our most vulnerable students our students with with um, 
profound special needs. And so I did that for a year and then I joined the Peace Corps and I moved to Armenia and I taught for a couple of years English as a foreign language in Armenia. And when I came back, I made the interesting choice to move to Texas, even though I'm from Washington State. And I was there with my aunt and she said, you know, Mandy, I really think you should try to be a teacher. And I said, well, I don't I don't know if I can because I don't I don't have a degree. I don't have a certificate. And she goes, well, I think you should just try. And so I applied for a couple of teaching jobs and they really need teachers. <laughs> and my yeah, my experience as a paraeducator and teaching in the Peace Corps was enough to get my foot in the door. Uh, and I became a teacher in Spearman, Texas, teaching theater and speech and debate and communications. Um, and then I just from there kept teaching and then it just adjusted and changed. I moved to Japan and I taught in Japan for a couple of years. I, I moved to New York and I taught there. And then I ultimately ended up back in my hometown of Spokane. And that's when I really got to focus 100% on teaching immigrant and refugee students. And then my last nine years in the classroom were uh, working directly with brand new immigrant and refugee students in the newcomer center. And, um, I, it was the best, I, I was exactly where I needed to be. And I learned so much from my students and, um, it was just such an honor and a pleasure to be able to, to live in that world for so long. Um, and now, uh, working with the union, I get to continue that advocacy, um, but on a different level. So whereas in the classroom, I was advocating for the students within my uh, district and my environment in my classroom, now I take that advocacy to try to uh, continue to support educators in supporting students. And what a wonderful background you have, uh, traveling all around, uh, you know, building and learning uh, more and more about your craft. Uh, I think it's fabulous. In your, uh, I'll have to have you back to talk about the Peace Corps trip. Yeah. Uh, in your book, you honed in on the importance of creating a sense of belonging for learners. Talk to me more about that. Well, it's really key to any classroom and it's particularly important for new immigrant and refugee students because they are in a situation that they didn't choose. They came here with their family and often as a result of something very traumatic uh, and, and they didn't want to leave their home country, but they had to. And now they find themselves living within a whole new culture and studying with a whole new environment. And so ensuring that they are they have that sense of welcome and that they belong in this community is really essential to them being able to learn and function within, you know, this this community. Uh, but it's something that I've known for since my first days in the classroom down in Texas, because coming at this career in such a backwards, like backdoor way. I, when I first walked into a classroom in Texas, I, as the lead teacher, like I sold myself pretty well, you know, it's, you know, overconfident, whatever. <laughs> um, but when I actually walked into the classroom and they gave me my teacher's edition of the textbook and the textbook for my communications classes, I had no idea what I was doing, like for real, <laughs> no idea. I couldn't even use the teacher's edition of the textbook because it was like, so confusing to me because no one bothered to you know be like hey this is how it's laid out yeah, yeah. so they really i are confusing yeah so i just went into the classroom and i was like well i'm gonna get to know my kids and i know i have to teach x y and z 
Um, but I don't know how to do, like, no one's going to tell me how to do that. Like, I'm not going to have an example or a model. So I need to know the kids so I can be like, oh, okay, this is how I teach these kids. And so such a big part of that was my focus was so strongly on just getting to know my kids that they felt so at home in my classroom environment and that I cared about them so much that they all learned. Like it was this really incredible experience because I could see so directly that because I cared about my kids, because I didn't know what I was doing, like professionally, um, but that had such an impact. So I carried that with me, you know, and some of the mistakes I made, I made so many mistakes that like alienated kids and, you know, um, and I took all of that and I just continued to learn from it. And then when I was with um, the newcomers, I was like, okay, well, I got to double down here because these students, there is nowhere else mm. that they're going to have this experience. Cause when they're at home with their family, they're all experiencing the same thing. Right. It's their right. opportunity, you know, being in school and being in the classroom, that's where they're going to get that initial, Hey, you know what? I can do this. Right. And I do belong here. And even though it's a, really difficult situation there are people around me who care about me and want me to be here mm. so. and that's important and uh we the work i do at ide we're it's a consulting firm and we work on designing classrooms for uh, today's world one of the things that we talk about is a priming plan to get the year started so that you get to know students they get to know you and we have this activity that we often recommend called uh, telling our story where students create a quilt square. Now, they don't have to sew it. It can also be just construction paper. But the idea is you put together this whole quilt of your classroom. And I remember visiting one of the classrooms where the consultants had, had worked on this with the teachers. And the students were just so thrilled to get to share their quilt square with me that had a map of the country that they had come from and the languages they speak and then some of their favorite colors or, you know, yeah. bands or whatever. And we're actually designing a uh, um, virtual high school right now where the students are fully virtual. And we did the same thing with a twist. They're making an infographic that we're putting in a, um, in a in, well, the teachers are putting in a uh, virtual exhibit, like a virtual museum that you can walk around. Pretty cool. Uh, yeah. But again, and I can't wait to see it because this is where the students get to say, this is who I am. And then be able to look around and say, well, who is everybody else and start right. to make that as well. Yes. And it helps them value one another so much more because mm -hmm. they see each other as these whole humans and the value for an educator is exponential, exponential. because we all know that within our curriculum and within our classroom environments, it's really important to represent the students that are right in front of us. And so when they can help with that introduction, then they learn about each other. They have pride in themselves because they're like, no, the, I am important. And the things that I've experienced in my way of thinking, being and doing is important. And then they all learn that. And then as the teacher, you learn that too. And you can then incorporate more of their culture and interests and experiences so that it, it brings everything that you're teaching towards a like real world experience that they can all then 
uh, hold on to and then grow from. And it's just like, I mean, it's invaluable because I hear all the time that spending that extra time at the beginning, it's just so hard because, you know, you have all, you know, you have to get from A to B to C in this, this time frame. And if we don't, and I'm like, but you don't understand, like, it's not a race to get to from point A to point B. It's actually the, the more care you take at the beginning to really get your kids into this whole like, okay, school is about me. School is about my experiences. What I'm learning is, is valuable to the, my life. Then the quicker they're going to actually get to all of those places. But yeah, it's hard to convince people of that sometimes. It is. And when we work with teachers designing a, an instructional model uh, that I created called the Learner Active Technology Infused Classroom. So teachers, uh, students are engaged in problem-based learning and teachers provide differentiated activity lists. They have to schedule their own time, et cetera. So I tell them the priming plan is everything. That's where you're going to get to know your students. That's where they're going to get to understand the structures. If you spend a week or even two weeks on that, trust me, the year will go well. And you're right. The teachers are very nervous. And I had one teacher say to me, you know, I was, I was so nervous because in October I was behind school started in September in October, I was behind my colleagues in the, in the textbook. And he said, but by December, my kids were like two chapters ahead. Like we were on a roll because as you said, they, well, they let their guard down too. One of the things we we talk about in um, our, our equity work is the fact that you know, your brain, the, 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 the base of your brain, the amygdala, which is your kind of like basic human response, is always looking to see if you are in a threatening situation. And if, they, if it perceives any threats, it literally shuts down so that it doesn't matter what anybody's trying to teach you, you're not learning it. All you're focused on is that threat and having your fight or flight response of, you know, what's happening. So, creating that sense of belonging allows students to see, oh no, I'm not threatened here. It's okay. I can relax and learn. Yep. They feel safe. They feel confident. Um, Cause that's one of the things with the newcomer center. Uh, so the students would stay with me for a semester, sometimes a year, depending on, you know, previous education and, and just various different things but usually it was a semester and people would be like how does that even how is that even effective like how do you teach them everything they need to know because as you know as high schoolers a kid comes in at 15 and we're like oh don't you read novels yet even though they're they're an English language learner and um, what we have just found with newcomer programs is that of course you can't teach them all the foundational language that they need but you can help them transition safely into a very scary situation of going to school in a completely different culture and in a completely different environment with completely different expectations, you know, because right. um, they, they have knowledge. They have extensive knowledge. Like yeah. I can't even some of my students were so far advanced. It was wild. They just didn't have the language to articulate what they knew. But of course, I can't teach every single vocabulary word and sentence structure that they need but that foundation of confidence that foundation of acceptance and belonging and that ease of transition into the new environment where we're exposing them and helping them experience things so that when they do go they're more willing to make to to take risks to try language that makes them uncomfortable to be you know for lack of a better word brave in um really trying to articulate what they already know or what they are learning. And, and that's the, 
the most important lesson I think that educators can learn. I mean, clearly there is some sense that if someone doesn't speak the same language as I, they're not as smart. Uh-huh. You know, there's that misunderstanding, which I think a lot of people say, no, that's not true. Okay. But I have to get to the bottom of what the student does know. Uh-huh. But a lot of people look at education like it's a, a linear pathway with definite timelines. In other words, if yes. we're going to learn this topic, it's going to take three weeks. Yeah. And I'll tell you, a student can learn that topic in a day if they're in the right situation. So yeah. that sense of belonging and peace and confidence and acceptance and all of that is just so important. And students, you know, you want accelerated learning? Start there. Exactly. Now, um, share a story from your work, because you must have a million stories, but uh, especially since you're so advanced in years. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You're saying you're 21 years, and I realize our listeners can't see you, but she looks 12. I'm just saying. So... uh, But within your years here of this work, um, share a story that had a profound impact on you as an educator of refugee or immigrant students. You know, I have so many stories because I have small stories. Like I'm going to actually tell you two stories because one. That's going to be your next book, you know, collection of stories. So um, and I, I mean, I've told this story before because it's so simple um, yet so profound that because we take so much for granted. So when we operate within an environment, say a school system, and we're so used to all of the structures that we take it for granted that anybody who comes in, I mean, it's so obvious what needs to happen, right? That we forget, no, you know, some sometimes, most of the time, we really need to take kids through step by step what to expect in something that seems so second nature to us. So take, for example, the lunch line, at school. It seems like, oh, well, if you know how to queue up, if you know how to stand in line and you know, then then it's going to come easily to you. But there's so many little pieces that are involved. And I had a situation where um, a couple of girls went through the lunch line and they happen to be Muslim and they have very strict dietary things that they ha- have to adhere to um, just based on their religious beliefs and experiences. And so they kind of knew, okay, if I get the cheese pizza, it's not going to have any pork. Shouldn't, right? Um, So they don't know, like, they don't know how to ask. They don't know how to navigate that situation. So they Mm -hmm. go and they get the cheese pizza or what they think is the cheese pizza. And then they go and they sit down. Um, And then after eating it halfway, they realized that there was some pepperoni stuck under the cheese. Oh. And I mean, it was like, the for them and their culture and their experience it was like they had done something so egregious and terrible and they cried and it was very traumatic for them and they lost an entire day of learning and were reluctant to come back the next day because they'd felt tricked they felt that they themselves had done something terribly wrong Uh, And all of these things. And so that experience um, and several others like arguments about money, taking too much fruit. I mean, there's just so many things that we take for granted that kids, if they just look at context, are going to understand. But if you're coming from a completely different culture and experience, that's not especially one that's not so individualized like our culture. Right. Um, They're not going to think about, oh, you know, maybe there's a limit on the number of apples I can take or 
whatever. And so it really made me rethink how I taught and what I did. And so I started with the very basics, like how do you um, come into the school and how do you navigate the lunch line? And we started to do this whole process where we introduced the kids to the um the people who worked in nutrition services, we really worked on that. And they had other things in place already, but we made sure that they were actually happening, like the pictures of the food and like, what does each one have? And does mm -hmm. this picture actually represent what it is to this culture group? Right. And right. so those kinds they of could be seen. Yes. Um, and so that was one thing where I was like, okay, those, things we need to be more intentional about. And and that's a lot of processes in a school building. Sure. Um, like so many things, even just like, when do you use the bathroom and how do you ask? Like so many things. Right. Um, and yet those are the things that, you know, I think in education, a lot of educators immediately run to the academics. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not comfortable with what happens when the bell rings or when we walk through the halls or how I, you know, when do I get up or sit down and where, you know, how do I get yeah. my lunch? How do I get to the, your, your mind is consumed with worrying about all of that mm -hmm. and forget academics. So. Yes. Yeah. And I think we also sometimes take for granted that students should know to ask. Right. And some sometimes that's just not the case. And each teacher also has different procedures and policies within their own classroom. And I think that it's so important to recognize that not every kid is going to understand that the policy has changed because their teacher last time. And these like everything that I talk about with my immigrant and refugee students are also things that would be beneficial to any kid. Sure. Like we should never take for granted that every kid knows exactly how to navigate a new classroom or a new teacher or a new school environment or anything. Like we should always be super intentional to intentional about teaching those processes. And it can be done in a way that's not uh, doesn't point any one specific person out, but is just incorporated within, you know, the first first few days of school. Agreed. Because um, something as simple as you said students are now going up to say a middle school where it's a different kind of environment and high school. Those are very scary years because yes. you're trying to navigate also the social aspect of who am I, who will I get along with, who will I hang with, et cetera. Um, that if there were better ways to make sure that students understood all of the ins and outs of the school itself, as opposed to just the academic side and not, you know, and here's the cafeteria, or right. here, here's how to open your locker, but more um, of an understanding of where that fits into the bigger picture. Yes. I mean, and it's academic level too, right? Like navigating a textbook. I cannot mm -hmm. tell you how many kids do not understand how to actually navigate a textbook. I mean, look at me. I was an adult and I couldn't navigate a teacher's edition of a textbook. Right. Like, right. And I'd had a college degree. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I mean, so you like we have to constantly remember that we cannot take for granted anything with students. We need mm. to. And the more that we can address those things that might cause them inner turmoil, the more likely they are to be able to pay attention to the actual academic lessons that are happening. I love um, that. Well, that's yeah. why it's such a great, a great book title, creating a sense of belonging for immigrant and refugee students. Yeah. Now you are currently working in the world of, as a digital content specialist. 
Uh, how do you use your extensive experience and talent working with English language learners in this role? So one of the uh, one of the pleasures of my job is that I get to seek out resources that are going to be beneficial to um, educators and students um, and education advocates that will help them to serve their students um, in the in you know in the best way possible. So I get to uh, run our social media and work on our website and do things like that. Um, and I get to visit schools and and highlight the work of educators all across the entire state. And so um, that's I I try to be super intentional about what I'm sharing. Is this going to be useful to educators? Is this going to help them to be able to be more supportive or um, more welcoming or or create a sense of belonging. So we do all kinds of things um, throughout the year based on, you know, some of the important dates. Like right now it's Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, we highlight Black History Month. We do all of those things. But I really try to not just be like, hey, it's this art. What are you doing in your classroom? But rather, hey, right now this is happening. Did you know this? Or here's something that we could do that you could incorporate into your lessons right now into your classroom to help your students um, who might have this background uh, feel pride. And then also the students who are not familiar with that culture or that background or we're going to expose them and then create a better community for your for your students. Um, so that's one thing. And then, of course, I get to do advocacy. One of the things that I found to be frustrating in the classroom was how much I constantly had to advocate for my students for the very basic things. Uh, like I needed to help them advocate for funds for this, you know, X, Y, and Z, or I needed to be able to um, have a student tested for special education, even though it was super early within their uh, learning in the United States, because with spe with special education and English learning, there's this really, it's difficult to get kids uh, identified. And so, I mean, there were so many things I was in there weekly advocating for my students with my um with my administration or with the district administration. And I'm not going to say they weren't amenable to it. They were, but it's just that it was constant. And so at, as I left the classroom and went into union work, it was my goal to take that advocacy so that they could focus on their students. And I could then outside of the outside of the classroom, do that advocacy work to make it easier for them. Now, have I succeeded? I have no idea. I'm sure you have. <laughs> but do I try really hard? Yes. Well, you definitely sound like uh, the kind of person who gets the job done when it's in front of you. Well, I mean, I think any educator has that kind of a heart and that kind of focus. Yeah, yeah. All right. So give our listeners then a sneak preview what are a few of the strategies that you offer in the book that they can use in the classroom? Um, so each section is vastly different. So Yvonne, she works in New Mexico. And so she teaches students who who's, are heritage speakers of Spanish, and she helps them to maintain that language. And so one of the things that she talks about in her section is about advocacy and about her advocating for students to have that kind of welcome and that kind of foundation to help them have pride and to keep their culture. Because sometimes what happens is 
when people, when students come to the United States, we push their uh, culture aside. And, and that's so detrimental because it's very, very important. I mean, there's, there's academic, there's academic reasons that you maintain a culture. There's academic reasons that you maintain access to the first language because skills in the first language are going to translate into skills in the, in the next language and the third. I mean, most of my students were multilingual. Um, so she talks about advocacy, not only her advocacy, but empowering uh, her heritage speakers of Spanish to be able to advocate for themselves. So she has a lot of really good, um, not only personal experiences, but experiences uh, for her as an educator that she does to help students maintain pride and maintain their culture. And I think um, that's so important because it's not about, well, you know, speak English. Yes, there are going to be times you need to speak English, but let's also provide students with time where they can speak in their heritage language. Um, yes. And if they're multilingual in a variety of languages, because won't that make them richer? Yes. You know, in their life experience. All yeah. right. Give us give us another. Um, and Sarahi, her part is really about dual language and bilingual education and how important it is if you have, you know, a 50-50 split or you have a majority of a, of a single language to be able to provide that bilingual education. And she also really focuses on bringing families together and bringing families in and helping families become mm. part of their child's education. And so she talks about having bilingual uh, back to school nights and how you uh, can how how you can navigate that and make that happen because uh, it's it's really vitally important. We have such a, a so in my in my situation, I taught such a variety of like I'd have 13 language groups and, you know, multiple cultures and everything. And each one has a different view of how families interact with schools. Um, and we in the United States claim and I hope work towards uh, keeping and maintaining and building relationships with families so that we can be partners in our students' education. And right. so the more we can do to ensure access for families who uh, don't always have access, and this is, a, you know, for English learning families whose many of their family members don't speak English or are just learning English, just like the students. So uh, how do you get trans... Uh, translators or interpreters? How do you uh, navigate that situation? What does it look like? Um, that's something that Sarahi addresses. She also addresses like having a girls group and, and helping girls who are from different cultures uh, discuss and their experiences and, and really try to navigate what that looks like here in the United States. Mm. Um. And I think that one of the things that you'll notice is that through line of creating a welcoming environment, because every single thing that each of us in this book talks about is our ideas about how to help our students keep their culture and be proud of that culture while being open to um, the, new, the new culture in which they're living and then helping not only within the English learner environment, but helping those students who are not English learners who are born in the United States also value the new students who come into their community. Um,
And then Aaliyah does this incredible literacy project with her students where each of the students writes their story, whatever story they want. It doesn't have to be traumatic or anything like that because we always want to be careful when we're helping students to tell their stories that we're honoring them and what they want to tell and not right, right. our desire in, the, mm-hmm. you know, in mm-hmm. our culture to, you know, like... There comes the media again. Yeah, yeah. And so she does this project with her students where they actually write a book. And she does this with them every year. Um, And then not only do they get a chance to write a story about their experiences, um, but then she sets up readings. So she has a reading at the school. Sometimes she'll take them to the local bookstore and they'll do a reading. Um, and, And she does this incredible project with the kids to help honor their experiences and their cultures, to help them become an expert about themselves and their experiences and, you know, about their culture. I mean, we all have different variances, even within our own cultures, but to be that kind of an ambassador, um, to have pride, to have confidence, and they're building literacy skills. So that's another thing that you'll that uh, readers of this book will see is that it's not just about um, uh, just that sense of belonging and confidence, but it's about it's all tied in with the academic piece as well. Right. Um, and so everything that we do, any of us, uh, is tied into helping them to grow and uh, reach their potential and to, um, you know, like we believe, like every person should have a right to dream big and, and achieve those dreams. Absolutely. And so it's all tied together. So there it is, creating a sense of belonging for immigrant and refugee students. Go out and get your copy. Um, all right, Mandy, let's unwrap the learning. What should every teacher remember about teaching refugee and immigrant students? Well, can I say two things? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Number one, remember that they just maybe don't quite know how to articulate what they know in English yet. That doesn't mean that they don't know a ton of stuff. It just means that we as educators have to figure out how to accommodate that language level so that they can articulate their knowledge because they are very, very knowledgeable. And then the second thing is, is that every single one of our immigrant and refugee students comes to us with new uh, ways of thinking, being, and doing that we don't experience here in the United States. And those things have infinite value to us as educators because they help us be better educators. The more we learn from our immigrant and refugee students and their perspectives, the better we are at teaching all of our students because we're able to recognize the value and beauty of every individual student who walks through our door. And it's really a blessing to have immigrant and refugee students come into our classroom because it is so usually different from what we've already experienced with our students born in the United States. And it helps us to um, broaden what we think of and do in our classrooms, which makes it a better experience for every single student. Very well said. Thank you so much, Mandy. It was a pleasure having you here today. And I hope everyone runs out and buys your book because you and your co-authors have a lot of great stuff in there. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's a wrap. I'm glad you could join me. I hope you'll subscribe, like, and share this podcast and help me spread the word about the power of learning. Till next time.